Hello and welcome to the fourth Ramblings Net Zero podcast. Um, on this podcast, I plan to look at electric vehicles, um, a big role on the you know on the net zero list, of course, but mainly due to the latest scandal that's been all over the press this last week. Um, it's pretty juicy, so really looking forward to, to chatting through in a bit more detail. Um, I'll also discuss some misconceptions I've had myself, hands up, um, and dive into literally what's fueling electrical electric vehicles as we look into electrical generation. Um, so electric vehicles, won't lie, I was skeptical about them many years ago. You heard the scare stories, many of the rest of you probably heard or read about as well. Um, probably not starting off on the right foot with this, but hear me out. Um, Convivently remember a cartoon as well, uh, showing a man proudly standing next to his new electric car with a caption saying, I drive a clean car. Then you can see that the car is charging from the socket in his garage with the wires flowing through to nearby pylons. And you can probably guess what comes next. Um, the wires led to what looked like a fossil fuel uh, power plant probably look like a coal plant. You know, bit of irony, I get it, you know, but it's an image that's really stuck with me for years and still does. It's something you know, that was, whenever I saw it, it's been imprinted into my head. Um, and that's an image I've, I associate or have associated with electric vehicles. You know, a coal power station generate electricity for electric care. Um, so look, I'll get into a little bit about that. There's a reason why I'm kind of setting this. And you might you might have know you you might notice that you know from the accent, not very good at hiding it, but I am Irish. However, I've been working in the I suppose the UK energy industry for the best part of the last decade, so that's kind of the market or the field I know relatively well and will focus on for on this point. I'm eventually going to get around to making, I hope. Um, so I think okay, UK electricity generation starting point. In the 50 years between, I suppose, 1900 and 1950, electricity generation in the UK was nearly all coal-powered. Oil, nuclear, gas entered the fray over the next 40 years. Exit stage left for oil during the 90s, as gas generation ramped up during that decade, and nuclear capacity also increased. And that's all well and good, but... The important aspect in all of this is the grid carbon intensity. That's the grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. And you're not trying to be like a scientist here or try to baffle you with these things, but that basically means the weight of carbon per kilowatt hour, which is a standard electrical unit of measurement. You know, the chances are is that it's the same units that you'd read off your electric meter at home. Um, you know, megawatt hours or kilowatt hours, all generally the same thing. Um, Anyways, and that's, so the grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour, and that's the average across the national grid. Okay, so that's what we're trying to get to here. That, that's kind of the important bit. So 50 years ago, back in 1970, the carbon intensity of the grid was about 750 grams of CO2 per kilowatt, kilowatt hour. 20 years ago, so the beginning of the millennium, year 2000, um, you know, coal reduced its kind of, hold down to about 40% of the electricity fuel mix. Uh, to explain what the electricity fuel mix is, top of my head here, uh, it, it's basically the percentage that makes up the supply, so 
whatever it's from. So 40% of electricity was in the UK back in 2000 was coming from coal. Hopefully that's clear. Um, and then over, over that 30 year period, you know, from 1970 up to the year 2000, this carbon intensity had dropped from 750 grams of CO2 per kilo, kilowatt hour down to 500 grams. And by and large, it kind of stagnated then around that 500 gram mark, you know, until about 2014-15, um, which is only five years ago. Um, and, and in these last five years, you know, we've seen an increase in renewables and we've also seen on the flip side, you know, the reduction of coal generation has quite has reduced dramatically. So in this short time, in this five, in the last five years, five, six, maybe seven years between friends, um, during this short time anyways, the grid carbon intensity is halved. So that's gone down to 250 grams of CO2 per kilowatt hour. And with more renewable projects planned, this will continue to, to reduce it has already dropped two thirds in the last 50 years. I guess that's what I'm trying to get at here. So, so try to piece together my point, you know, after going through a bit of a timeline showing generation sources and carbon intensity, it basically boils down to this. Um, electricity from coal has next to disappeared and fossil fuel generation has reduced as renewables has increased. The net result in all of this carbon attributed to electricity generation supply is one third of what it, of what it was 50 years ago and that's going to continue to fall you know and some people might say you know but i'm i'm on a fully green energy tariff and that is a topic i'm plan to deal with separately <laughs> that's a totally different kettle of fish so i'll i'll i'll, I'll, I'll get into that again um, so anyways, back to this cartoon that I have have imprinted in my head. Um, you know, it's been there for years and, and yes, you know, there's, there's, there's still a proportion of fossil fuels in the generation mix, but it has massively, massively changed and is still in transition. You know, coal is pretty much gone. Oil is gone as well. Um, like, it, it, it's absolutely horseradish drawing conclusions on electric vehicles based on historic or even current emissions um they're definitely definitely one for the future and a, and a future grid um electric vehicles are still at the beginning of their journey so we must take into into account inevitable progress in efficiencies of batteries as well as future energy sources um pun definitely intended here uh but i'm going to park that side of it for now um moving on to the main part of the podcast okay eventually getting around to the scandals um and i'm going to cheat i'm actually going to let some others do this intro for me uh, so let's see if this works
up with Aston Martin because the company must have had a meeting recently. The bosses must have said it's going to be a few years now until the next Bond film is out. So what are we going to do at Aston Martin to generate some headlines in the meantime? And what they must have decided is to make a car that is as good as a car can be. Yeah, now they weren't talking about making a racing car because in racing there are rules about how big the engine can be and what sort of tyres you can use. Yep, and they weren't talking about making a road car because then it would have to meet uh, emissions regulations, it would have to have comfy rubber bits in the suspension, and all that stuff would just slow it down. Yes, exactly. They wanted to make a car that adhered to no rules and no regulations. So they have. A very, very dramatic music at the end, um, but, but teeing me up nicely to produce. Um, okay, so interesting enough, you know, that, that clip is over a year old, um, well over a year old, I believe, but over a year old anyways. And it'll become, it should become clear why I've used it as we start going through this. Uh, so they're obviously, you know, I thought it was the Vulcan or something, they were, they were, they were going, going test, testing out one of the new Aston Martins on the show. So not to give, give the game away. Um, you know, I, sp I spotted a post on LinkedIn that someone who went to university, you know, they posted last week. It really caught my attention. You know, it was about electric vehicles and kind of questioning if they were as green as they claim. And clicking on a few links, I ended up going down a bit of a rabbit hole. Uh, one of these things when you're on the phone and yeah, you get carried away, don't you? Um, there were several national newspapers all leading with a similar story. I've taken this headline from the Telegraph on the from the 26th of November, um, and the title was. Electric cars need to be driven 50,000 miles before before carbon footprint is better than petrol model, new report suggests. And the next, the next line was a bit of a corker, actually. Um, the report called for greater transparency from car makers over the CO2 impact of manufacturing electric vehicles. And you know, I'll, I'll admit, you know, I've always known or have heard anyways that there's been more energy or carbon goes into making electric vehicles than traditional petrol or diesel models. And that's largely down to the makeup of the battery. Um, you know, but but 50,000 miles still seemed like an awful lot to me. Uh, so I can see why they would leave with that headline. Um, Eye-catching, you know, I could probably could have probably made a million assumptions just off the headline myself. Uh, but, you know, and, and the, the, the Telegraph weren't the only ones to run with this story. You know, it was in the Sunday Times, the Daily Mail, the Metro. You know, it was on a lot of the a, a lot of the well-known newspapers. And on face value, you know, I, I I started to question electric vehicles again. You know, shames me to say it, but I was, I was you know skeptical again, and I was going back to you know the cartoon when I was that raised my you you. you I was skeptical about that as well many many moons ago. Um, however, you know, the very impressive, you know, Mike, Michael Liebreich, uh, founder of New Energy Finance and later CEO of Bloomberg New Energy Finance, he had his suspicions raise a little bit as well around these claims, and he started doing some digging, which I could only really align to like Liam, ne Liam Neeson and Taken. I don't know what the character's name was. Um, probably really obvious, now. or or even maybe maybe a better one might be Colleen Rooney, um, a topical one at the moment. But that's probably been on a bit unfair. Um, but all all of this, he's actually expertly, 
you'd expect nothing less really. He's documented in an article he posted on LinkedIn on the 30th of November. Um, raising alarm bells again on this figure of 50,000 miles, he sent the article to Okra Hoogstrata, um, who is the senior advisor, I'm going to read out his official title here, folks, um, who is the senior advisor on electric mobility at the Eindhoven Technical University. So in short, you know, this is a guy who knows what he's on about, uh, unlike myself. Um, and he was Oka Hoogstrata, went into great detail outlining all, you know, everything on this thread for all to see on Twitter. It's actually, you know, quite a read, but quite shocking as well. Um, and where all this kind of ended up was, was showing that the emission break even was a lot closer to 16,000 miles rather than 50,000 miles. You know, still quite a lot, you know, but still, you know, it, it's not surprising. It's not surprising that this is currently higher and it doesn't come as much of a shock, really. Uh, well, 16,000 miles doesn't come as too much of a shock. You know, you probably know plenty of people that drive far in excess of 16,000 miles per year. Um, I think the average figure is about seven, so it's probably... On, on the average figure, probably over two years, and then that would be the break-even point. One year for some people, two years, two years for others, and uh, and so and so on. You know, and and but that's the break-even point on embodied emissions versus versus a combustion alternative. Um, and I suppose the question really is, you know, where is all this going, and what? would people have to gain by lying about making these claims? You know, why, why is this in the papers if it's false and all that? Um, and that's where things started to unravel. Looking further under the bonnet, sorry, couldn't, couldn't avoid that one. Um, Michael Liebreich noticed in, you know, that in the report was linked back to a Clarendon, hopefully I'm pronouncing that one right, Clarendon Communications, well, that's how I'm pronouncing it anyways. Uh, so we looked up their website, you know, no team members, suspicions raised further. But their website did have logos from Aston, you know, for Aston Martin and Bosch. Both of which had their logos on the EV, on this EV report as well, that was all quoted by all of the, the national newspapers. Um, then he went to their LinkedIn page, no staff. It was, again, pretty strange, a few alarm bells. His next stop was on the company's house to see you know, what directors they'd listed and a few more bits of information. And they did have a director listed, as you would have to on Company's House for this. Um, and it was Rebecca Caroline Stevens. And that's where kind of the trail ended, went cold, I guess. Then he noticed, um, there was a post on LinkedIn from Clarendon Communications. And one of these, one of these posts on LinkedIn quoted a James N. Stevens, who was, is the... And his title, I'll, re I'll read this one out again, it's quite a, quite a long one. Um, Director, Global Government and Corporate Affairs at Aston Martin. You know, what a, what a title. Um, so having some some suspicions, you know, Rebecca Caroline Stevens and James M. Stevens, Michael went to the land registry. I think he said, it was a, he, he quoted there and he was, it was a few pounds to check the address. Only, only to find that Rebecca and James Stevens owned a property called, dramatic pause, Clarendon House. You know, <laughs> what are the chances? Uh, and it all, it all kind of seems to me actually really, really magnet. It's all, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how many people listening might be familiar with Scooby-Doo, but 
I know. <laughs> I can remember myself from from the childhood, or not so long ago actually. Uh, at the kind of the end when they're kind of uncovering the perpetrators and by unmasking them, that was kind of like one of these moments, really, wasn't it? Uh, and in this case, you know, what what's been titled since has been like a sock puppet HR firm with the sole purpose to dirty the ideas, the idea of electric vehicles, and that kind of annoys me, you know, because. It's not. It's not the fact that they went and done it and all this. Well, 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 it is, but it's the net. It's the it's the result of it because it it's. I was I was doubting something yet again, you know, based on fiction and deceit, and that's kind of the that's kind of the world we're living in right now. But it's it it's not good when you nobody likes being fooled. I don't like being fooled, and I'm sure lots of other people don't like. They will be pulled over their eyes either. Um. And for a number of reasons as well, you know, I, I don't think I'm. Aston Martin's target audience, I get that. Uh, however, like they're such a prestigious brand, you know, what would they have to gain from all of this? You know, they, you don't, know, you don't have to look any further than James Bond, you know, for goodness' sake. You, you, know, you know, Aston Martin, what, what, what a huge name that is. And then you read, you know, the end of, you know, what, what, but what could they gain from all this? And you read the end of Michael Liebrich's article his LinkedIn article, and it sums up, you know, it, so per it perfectly spells it out. You know, in July 17, the UK announced it was, going to, it was going to ban the sale of new diesel and petrol cars, cars, vans, by 2040. Um, jumping to February 20, so so this, this year, it was announced that these plans had taken a giant leap. So this was actually going to, from 2040, bringing this back to 2035. Due to the impending climate crisis we all face, um, and then just just last month, November twenty, it was announced that the ban of selling new petrol and diesel cars was going to be brought forward again to twenty thirty, um, and really boiling all this down, that just doesn't fit the model of Aston Martin. You know they build amazing cars, no doubt, no doubt, you know, no, not doubting that. You know Jeremy Clarkson has said it many times. Um, okay, you know. Probably not the best example there, you know, but, but Richard Hammond and James May seem to agree as well. So that's that's good enough for me, really. Um, and, and knowing how Aston Martin are now embroiled in a bit of a potentially rogue PR disaster, it's probably fitting to listen to a bit of this clip again, you know, remembering again, this is over a year old and unconnected to the latest news, but it's amazingly close. Let's see if this works. With Aston Martin, because the company must have had a meeting recently. The bosses must have said it's going to be a few years now until the next Bond film is out. So what are we going to do at Aston Martin to generate some headlines in the meeting? And headlines they have generated indeed. Um, so I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not going to end it here with any like I told you so's because I got totally duped in all of this myself. Um, electric vehicles are of course a great solution, and it all but this this all of the stuff that's happened and. All the fallout from it. It all it, it reminds me of the saying, um, you don't have to blow out somebody else's candle for your for your light to shine. And again, it, it just seems, you know, it just seems that Aston Martin were kind of going out on a limb here. Well, not 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 an official limb. I better be very careful here, but it was all connected back to them and there was others involved as well, of course. Uh but it, it it's just they could have focused on them on, on themselves. Actually, I don't have this script at all. But I'm going to chuck in a Jesus. Go down a bit. Go down. A, maybe I should just 
keep my mouth shut here, but I think it was a Conor McGregor quote that um, losers focus on winners, winners focus on winning. Um, <laughs> might have to edit this out. Can't believe I'm quoting Conor McGregor. Um, you know, but but it's another warning to be careful to believe everything you read, and it's also a warning that there's no exceptions in this push towards a net zero future. Um, reducing emissions is now rising at an astronomical pace up corporate and government agendas. It's adapt or die time for the planet, and it's adapt or die time for businesses. And I had a few more bits there, but I'm gonna I'm gonna. I'm going to wrap it up there, actually. I'm probably waffling on enough. Um, wrapping up there, I've got a really, really interesting guest hopefully joining me for the next one. So we're super, super excited about that. Uh, really thank you all again for listening this time. Um, till next time, all the best and take care.